You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Yes, um, I have three books out right now. They are mysteries. Stand up, 
Yes. Oh, let's. Well, we're we're gonna have to get the mics going better because okay, it's not gonna Can work you to stand up in the back. Yeah. Am I okay? Um, I'm Zoe Ferraris. I have three books out right now. They're mysteries set in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Um, my protagonist is a devout Muslim man named Nair who is um, pretty much looking for a wife and living in a society where he's not allowed to talk to women. Um, <laughs> So he stumbles on a dead body, and uh, it is uh, a sister of a friend of his. Nobody believes she was murdered, but he does. He has an intimate knowledge of the desert. So he has to go pursue the potential murder investigation on his own, but this is obviously difficult because he's not allowed to talk to women or know anything about them. So um, the three books are about Nair and a woman he eventually comes to know named Katya who helps him with this investigation. Um, they're all separate murders, and uh, I lived in Saudi Arabia myself. Uh, my ex-husband was from there. We, um, we have a daughter together, and we went back there supposedly for two weeks to visit this family and show off our daughter. We ended up staying for almost a year. Um, I lived in a very conservative neighborhood in Jeddah and uh, inside an Arab family with almost no contact with Americans for the whole time. It was a very intense and fascinating experience that is really my inspiration for these books. Mm. Me? Julia. Oh, okay. Um, yes. Hi, um, I'm Julia Spencer Fleming. I write uh, the Claire Ferguson, Russ Van Alstyne series um, set in a small town in upstate New York. Um, my, one of my co-protagonists, uh, Claire Ferguson, is an Episcopal priest at the start, Piskies, <laughs> yo. You're playing to the home team. I yeah. am, I am, I am, that's right. We'll do the hymns of the titles later on in the evening. Um, uh, but uh, Claire, Claire is a former, uh, actually a former uh, army officer, and um, at the start of the first book, she is literally in her very, very first uh, parish. Uh, and she's young, and she's really, really trying to be uh, just the best gosh darn priest she can and and falling down on the job a lot and uh, one of the many ways that she falls down is, is the fact that she she winds up getting involved in these sort of her, her urges to social justice uh, and reparative justice get keep sucking her into um, murder investigations as you know they do for all of us <laughs> and, and, and um, so that, that's sort of one way in which she has a lot of difficulties. And the other is that um, over the course of the, the first uh, book or two, she um, falls in love with the town's chief of police, who also happens to be married um, and has to deal with the repercussions of that. Sharon. Okay. I got it right, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Karen. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, Sharon. <laughs> but spelled funny. Uh, anyway, uh, I have ten medieval mysteries out, one standalone, and three nonfictions with a fourth coming out soon. I'm a medieval historian and I'm a writer, and I have been both for almost 40 years now. And please, please tell me that I started when I was 10. <laughs> um, and uh, so my books are set in medieval France. Uh, and people say, why don't you write about England? And I said, I don't write about places 
that don't have decent wine. <laughs> so that, that's my, um, but it's 12th century France, which is the, the area of my expertise. And I became interested not just in the period, but in writing these mysteries, particularly because I read the textbooks and the secondary literature, and especially when it came to talking about Jews, it was always, Jews were persecuted, they wore badges, they were miserable, they got thrown out. And then I would read primary documents, and I found that that just wasn't the case, that the synagogue in Paris at, at this time was going fine, um, that a lot of the student lodgings for the university, or the, not the university, the cathedral school, were owned by Jews, they rented to Christians, Jews had Christian servants, J Christians had some Jewish servants. I mean, they were still a small fraction of the population, and I wanted to really write about how people interacted. And as my editor keeps reminding me, there are bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot, of the, a lot of the plots sort of go around things that really happened. So one is about a real theft of a relic. Uh, another one is a pilgrimage to Compostela in Spain, because I wanted to go. Um, <laughs> another one is about the 1148 Council of Reims. It's called Heresy. And I, yeah, I heard you, oh wow, the 1140, nobody ever yeah. does that, and my favorite council. <laughs> well, it's my favorite council. <laughs> I was going on and on about to my editor, because um, she'd already bought the book without knowing what I was going to write. <laughs> and uh, so I, I spent five minutes explaining to her why this, why this was such a cool council. And finally, there's this little voice that said, you are going to kill somebody, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I promised I would. But for me, the, it's the human interaction that makes the story. So that's what I do. Um, now, is it, is it possible that we can get these mics so that they're working? Can you hear me? Okay. I could just there swallow it right if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, oh. so that's not oh, that's so okay. okay. So basically, we have no mics. Gotcha. Okay, then I won't try talking into it. Thank you. <laughs> Tech special here, guys. Um, I th I thought that we might uh, we might start by just a quick um, a quick definition. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between religion and theology? Because we've sort of you know, build this thing as a discussion about religion and theology. And it's something that will come up. I don't know if you guys are going to talk about it, but <laughs> I got the paper. <laughs> I can do it in a sentence. I, I figured somebody could. <laughs> well, maybe you can too. No, I'm just thinking this is really just an elaborate excuse for Lori to bring out the, that degree in yeah, comparative religions. Yeah. No, it's, it's easy. Religion is what people practice. Yeah. Theology is what people study. Yeah. That's all. Thank you. There you go. I, I, is that okay? Yeah, I mean, theology is God talk, theos logos. And, oh. and so, you know, that is... When you were when you want to talk about the divine, mm -hmm. then it's 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 rather more intellectual than spiritual. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I mention this because my character often comes into face-to-face um, -face problems with. Mm -hmm. She is a, a theologian who occasionally has to be reminded that there are religious people out there. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of the things that I think. Um, we deal with when we're writing is um, we have 
we have an audience, and one assumes that we're writing books not entirely for ourselves. We write a book so that we can share a story of some kind. Um, can we each say something about how you write about a specific group that may be foreign to 99% of the readers? Mm -hmm. How you make it sympathetic, interesting, and um, and enriching to the story itself. Do you, do you want to start, Sharon, and move the yeah. other way this time? Sure. I haven't the foggiest idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Julia? That's okay. Yeah. She knew the answer to the first one. So, um, Well, I have it, I think, easier than, than anybody else because I'm writing contemporary stories uh, set in contemporaneous. And, and although, you know, people might not be uh, intimately familiar with the Episcopal Church, though why not? I don't know. Um, but, but it's something that is, is somewhat familiar. The way that I try and do it uh, to, to pr make it comprehensible is, I think, really the technique you, lose, you use whenever you, or one technique that you can use, making the foreign or the, you know, uh, apparent to other people. And that is uh, Claire, the, the, the Reverend Claire Ferguson, is surrounded by uh, a lot of pretty secular people, uh, including, probably most importantly, the, the police chief. Um, her, her partner in detection, who is himself a, a very strong agnostic, if not an outright atheist. Um, so uh, like a lot of religious, actively religious people in our society, certainly in certain parts of it. I live in Maine, which is one of the most irreligious places in, in the United States, seriously. Um, a lot of us who are practicing, you know, move in a sea of very secularized people. And so it's in that, that interface where um, the priest intersects with other people that I think we, we get a natural uh, revelation. It gives me opportunities as an author to sort of reveal, peel away and say, well, this is what she stands for, and this is what the church says, and this is what you know, some people believe, and this is what other people believe. I think it's just it's difficult to take theological ideas and make them real in life in general, so it's, it's hard in novels as well. Um, it, you know, th like in any situation that you face, you think, okay, what would I do? What's the right thing to do? And that's always a tricky decision to make on some level. Um, I have to say with Islam, there's a, a little bit of an easy way out in this regard in that I, my personal observation, I should own this, is that Islam is very focused on detail. And there's a lot, at least growing up Christian, I did not ever experience uh, a religion that that told me how to cut my hair. You know that that mm -hmm. tells you mm -hmm. the detail. I mean that there there are just a phenomenal amount of rules that come out, and they're not they're not you know written into the Quran or anything, but they're they're discussed continually by uh, religious authorities. Like uh, very esteemed religious authorities have no problem discussing how you cut your beard. They don't think that of that as a step down from their theology. It's just it's just part of everything, and they, you know, everything that exists on earth is, is falls under the religious, you know, field. So they're they're and, and they're just like an incredible. I mean, how you clip your nails, whether you clip your nails, you know, literally how many uh, inches of your beard, and so those are actually very concrete details that you can put into a book. And uh, I would say too in my novels that. Uh, my experience of Saudi Arabia was that it, um, religion is so much more, more a part of daily life than than it than it is here. It is sort of forced on you in a way that it isn't here. 
I feel like in America you do have a, a distinct choice. You can live your whole life here and not necessarily encounter it or be forced to um, follow rules that are determined by religion. That isn't true over there. So in a way, my care, you know, I have a little bit of an easier way um, getting those, those issues out in, in, the, in the book because they're part of the lives of my characters. This, this ties in very closely to the, the kind of thing, I, in fact, I was going to come back to this question, um, so let's do it now and you can mm -hmm. finish your answer. Um, that the idea of when you have this all-pervasive society, this, when you have a society where religion is in every aspect of life, whether it's modern-day Saudi Arabia or whether it's medieval Europe, um, you know, I, I found it very interesting that the two of you are coming from a very similar point of view in, in the writing. That is, you everything you are writing has to do with religion, whether it's the Christians or the Jews mm -hmm. in your books. Um, religion guides every step of the way. Um, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that in terms of allowing the story to go forward? I think that it drives the story. A lot of my books have to do with like the relic book and so forth. It has to do with Christian belief. But also I know that in the Middle Ages, there wasn't one Christian belief. People say that that was the case, but every person had their own belief. And often it was mixed in with folklore and uh, you know pre-Christian uh, things or stories that they misunderstood because the average person First of all, Christians in, in the 12th century did not go to church every Sunday. They finally had to say, look, Easter and Christmas, you've got to <laughs> go then. But most people didn't. And they opened the markets in, uh, in Troyes on Sundays because the Jews wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't uh, have the markets on Saturdays. Or wouldn't have the markets on, yeah, they wouldn't have the market on Saturday. So for the Christian part, it's much looser, and it has to do often, my, the stories have to do with people misunderstanding their religion. For the Jewish part, um, there was a very fine American scholar of the 20th century who said that the Jews would not have survived without the minutia, without the laws. And you know, if you, if you didn't have to, you know, all of those things, like if, if you have to travel on a Sunday or Saturday, you have to get off your horse and lead it. And I opened, um, actually Strong as Death, the book that's out there, I open with um, two Jews, three Jews arguing about, you know, can they, if they cut a deer that they found in the kosher manner and drain its blood, can they eat it? And two say, yes, we're hungry, and the third one says, absolutely not. So I think on, for Islam, that's pretty close. So that, but again, that 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 informs the story. It cr it helps create the characters. Do you have anything to add to that? Or? <coughs> um, one of the things that I that I found with all three of you as writers is that, as as you say, we live in a very secular society, and even uh, you know, even if we are involved in the church or the temple or the mosque, and we we have it as a regular part of our life, most of our days are spent among people um, for whom God is not an everyday topic of conversation. And I find it fascinating how um, the three of you all managed to write about these, these structures of required living, as it were, 
um, that many secular people would find oppressive. I mean, I think Zoe's is the, the extreme mm-hmm. there, is that, you know, why, why every person in Saudi is not utterly stark, raving, insane? I, I, you know, those of us who live with freedom and who expect to be given the right to choose, you know, 95% of the time, the idea of having our every behavior uh, hedged in um, would be terrifying. Sa- the same way with you know being a Jew in, in medieval mm-hmm. medieval times. Well, there were a lot who apostatized. <laughs> but what I think that you do so beautifully is to show the joy in this, and it's hard. It's easy to show joy in freedom, but it's hard to show joy. In the acceptance of, y- you know, I mean, submission. That submission, is what, that was that the word I was thinking, yeah. The word, the word Islam <laughs> means is submission. And it's mm-hmm. not just, okay, you're bigger than I am, I'll put my head down and do it. Mm-hmm. It's, I take joy in submitting to your will. And I, I think, I mean, that to me is a really exciting thing about writing about religion that you, you can't do in writing about anything else. So do you guys want to say something about that? I mean, Zoe, do you want to start it? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, um, I mean, my main character struggles to interpret. His culture is doing so much interpreting of religion for him, and he's struggling to uh, live a life that is in keeping with that cultural interpretation. And um, there are, there are, there's a certain comfort, and this is what he sort of discovers at the end of the first book, that when he finally accepts that what he wants is to break the rules that have been laid down for him, he's sad about that. Like there, there's mm-hmm. a loss, there's a sense of loss, and there is sort of a, a strange freedom in restriction. It, it's, it's having answers already. It's having things answered for you. It's almost having something black and white, and um, you don't have to question it. You don't, you know, you, uh, yeah, it's, it's like being hemmed in and sort of in a comfortable way sometimes and um, and I know that for an American reader it might seem really just completely oppressive um, but I think that enculturation explains a lot of, of one's attitude toward things so you know if you grow up in a culture where women just cover their hair all the time then th- there's nothing sort of strange about that you know it's just mm-hmm. sort of normal and um, they certainly did it in the 12th century yeah, yeah mm-hmm. we've done it yeah mm-hmm. yeah we do that I think you do a really good job we see Nair at pray. He, you know, he, he prays right, and sometimes it's just mentioned. He rolled out his prayer mat and he prays, but other times, and I thought I've noticed this because I've, uh, I've, I've struggled a little bit trying to describe my priest at prayer without it sounding like I'm trying to be, you know, Tim LaHaye writing Left Behind. That's the difficulty with contemporary Christianity is, you know, you don't want to go too far into being that person, but. Um, <laughs> You do. I think there's this real sense. You get sense in some of the scenes of, of exactly how that refreshes his soul. You know, he he's he's troubled. He's got problems with his friends and or you know what his relationship with Kachi should be, and he brings it into prayer and he prays and he rises up and he he is better. He he feels more balanced. He's got new insights. He's ready to sort of get out there and and battle the world again. And I think that's really well done. Thanks. Um, yeah, it is a, it's a good point that uh, submission can be um, really strengthening and really fulfilling, and it can provide a kind of um, psychic or psychological freedom that that um, 
that you don't have if you're constantly questioning or you really don't know the answer or something. But at the same time, um, you know, like I said, he struggles, Nair struggles, and, and uh, particularly in his case, it, Islam says get married and have kids, you know? So it's, it's like a kind of a contradiction built into the structure of the way it's interpreted as well. Sharon, do you want to talk about the, the idea of taking joy in restriction? I mean, certainly. I don't the think they would see it as taking joy in restriction. I um, well, certainly. Well, if you look at, for example, a, a if, monastic community. Yeah, if you read the sermons of Saint Bernard, I don't think they're in paperback yet, though. <laughs> but um, you can tell that he takes a great deal of joy in the cloister, and 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 several of the. You know, if you write, read Hildegard of Bingen or somebody like that, there's the, the structure is important to her. And it, it leaves her, the, the ultimate goal is to be not one with God, but to, to be as close to God as possible and to have all the outside world go away. Now, day, in day-to-day -day life, people did that, didn't do that. But in monasticism, that was you know, the essential part of it. So I have some of those there too. That that it's it's a mysticism almost. It's you know it's touching the divine. And when you get into Kabbalah studies, which really just began in the middle of the 11th or 12th century, it's that's the same thing. It's it's throwing away all of the, all of the theology and just being one on one with God. Yes, it's it's interesting that uh, as as novelists we are permitted. Uh, especially as crime novelists, we, we really can write about pretty much anything. Um, as long you know. as you have a body. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have a corpse. Uh -huh. Although, you know, there's one or two where you think you have a corpse, mm -hmm. but you, you gotta at least think you have yeah. a corpse. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, but, you know, but there's certain areas that, especially because, um, you know, New York tends to be really conservative about, well, if you know, if only 10% of the people will understand this, then you're not going to sell it. Mm. Um, but the, um, the, the, the business of um, expressing a personal relationship with the divine is something that we, we as a society is not, are not really comfortable with. Um, I mean, I have, I have a simple way of dealing with it in that, that my, my main character, who's Mary Russell, um, is this theologian, and she, she, doesn't, she doesn't really consider herself religious, and she's mm -hmm. startled when she meets people who are religious, as I said. Um, and it, it, it <coughs> means that she can look at this joy um, with a, a, a sort of awe and wonder of how, how, <coughs> how do you get to that place where you find um, you find joy in such a simple thing as as talking to God, or you know, getting down on a prayer mat on a busy street, and <laughs> you, you stop the car. I mean, I I have to say, I kept envisioning these terrible, terrible traffic jams at prayer time. Everybody just yanks over their taxi and haul their all they are out on the sidewalk. So, you know. It, it, it would never go in downtown San Francisco. I <laughs> you know, it's funny. Now that you mention, I think that our our characters all have something in common, which is that um, looking for that moment or or elevating a spiritual experience beyond the mundane interpretations. Like I'm thinking of your character in particular, Claire, just having a 
she's sort of a, a little bit sarcastic. She's yeah. kind of young and hip, and like mm-hmm. at least in my mind, she's like young and hip, and she's like former, you know, soldier and marine maybe was it? Oh, she was army, but army. yeah, she's, okay. She's, um, and she was like, you know, she's one of your badass priests. She's a little badass. <laughs> she's like a woman priest who's mm-hmm. in this small town in upstate New York, and they're all kind of, you know, a little bit conservative and stuffy and fussy and. Um, it's kind of funny to talk about Christianity through that point of view. Uh, have someone, you know, she, she wants to, like in the, the book that I read, she wants to help uh, homeless moms or young teenage moms, you know, and the rest of the town's kind of like, yeah. Um, but I just get the feeling that you're making a commentary about, like, getting to something essential about a religion and, and really getting deep down to uh, her understanding, this is what I need to do, you know, here. This is just really realistically looking at the scenario. It isn't about what some scholar said I sh- should do. It isn't about any kind of rule that we have. In fact, she's challenging the rules. Yeah, yeah. Claire's a lousy theologian. She, she doesn't do, do that sort of thing. Um, I think I actually say this at one point, and Claire says, and this is very much my own personal belief, is that, you know, we are God's hands in this world. And whatever the divine wants to get done for for other people, you know, we need to do it. It's got to come through us, and that's 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 her approach. And uh, I think it's when she gets into those moments in the stories that we get, hopefully, hopefully the readers get that that sort of sense of both the grace of the moment and what it means, what it feels like to 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 be that channel for the divine. And it can be as simple as you know, giving a meal, you know, at the, helping out at the soup kitchen sometimes, um, or as difficult as um, sitting and listening to someone at, who's a murderer, which of course happens frequently because, this, <laughs> because you, have, you gotta have a corpse, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this idea of, of a calling, you know, a very personal um, and, and profound belief that, that the only choice in life for me is to, you know, to, to put on the collar and to serve God. I mean, I find that fascinating in, in terms of writing a, a crime series because, you, you know, it should be massively distracting um, because I've never felt a calling mm-hmm. like that. And, and yet <coughs> it's something that informs that character in, in, in as I said, some very profound ways. You know what? I, you have felt a calling like that because I don't think you can become a professional writer with it's not something you do to break in for the big bucks and the, oh. you know and and the, about money. no yeah. i think <laughs> I, I think i think i think we a lot of people have a vocation and some people don't have the good fortune to find it but when you find it that's that is your calling um so you know it's particularly mm-hmm. apt for a crime novel as well as a way you know, this may sound a little cutthroat, but it's a good way to establish that your character is on the side of justice, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Who well, better to yeah, do I'm it sorry. than someone who is religiously yeah. Yeah. Oh, inclined? Oh, no, you you, you got to realize that there's three other women thinking, hey, I could have a really bad guy who's a priest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did have a nice, interesting lascivious hermit at one point. Lascivious <laughs> 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 hermits are good. In, in a lot of... Um, you know, in a lot of the panels I've been on about why write crime fiction and so forth, the mm-hmm. thing about crime fiction, which I'm sure most of you know, is that it, there is justice. The whole point mm-hmm. of most mystery books is that there's resolution, the bad guy's punished, even if not in the way you expect, and um, 
and your life isn't like that. So mm -hmm. they are morality plays, mm -hmm. in essence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the restoration of order in mm -hmm. the universe um, is, exactly. is, mm -hmm. is central to uh, mm -hmm. yep. it. It's yep. always extremely irritating when you read a crime novel and the, the, the writer thinks they're going to be clever and let things dangle at the end. Ooh. And it's just, it just pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not, I mean, it is not a crime novel. It is it is 99% of a crime novel, and, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. this other, mm -hmm. the barnacle on our hull. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that, you know, the, the whole idea yeah. of a crime novel is that it is a quest. You have a person who is, is trying to find out a truth to restore a right and um, and change themselves in the process. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think that a number of crime writers um, have picked up on, on something Mike Connolly said, that when you're writing a, a crime story, the, the investigator is working on the crime, but the crime is working mm -hmm. on the investigator mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I think that when you also bring God into this mix, you know, all of us sort of start out with, we're, okay, we're working a crime, we've got a body, we've got, and then you bring in this dimension of, of a higher responsibility that, you know, that really makes the stories start to run. Is that, is that how you feel yeah. when you're starting writing? Mm -hmm. It's totally appropriate to, yeah. the, to the subject of religion. In fact, I feel like religion is where I first heard the story of someone being put through a trial and someone, mm -hmm. you know, being but tested yes. in some way. <laughs> tested, and yeah. Mm -hmm. What, you know, uh, at least, I mean, my, my investigator is, is a sort of an amateur. He's not, the, doesn't work for the police or anything. So for him, this really is a trial. And I think it would be for most people just mm -hmm. to encounter a dead body and try to figure out why that happened. You know, someone you know. Yeah, but I want to say something about an earlier point, like the, the question of like the mundane aspects of religion versus the sort of the greater thing that mm -hmm. I think that we're all kind of striving for mm -hmm. just in, in our characters in some way. Um, I don't know whether it's conscious or not. I know Islam is often accused of being wrapped up in just the superficialities in some way. Uh, you can go online to like fatwa.com and like <laughs> That's a real thing? This is a real I thing. I thought you made I it up. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the book. It's in one of the books. Fatwa.com. <laughs> <laughs> you know, any religious <laughs> scholar can get on there and mm. leave an opinion about something. And it's almost like a, it's like the worst of like an Amazon chat room about a book. You know, it's like everyone, I mean, they've outlawed Mickey Mouse. They've outlawed Valentine's Day. You know, and crazy things come out of that. And they often make mm -hmm. the news because they're so radical and crazy. And one of them was recently inside. Arabia, um, women were not allowed to eat ice cream in public, you know, because most ice cream cones, they, you don't just do the soft serve because it's too hot over there, so they have to be more like a popsicle, and it actually, you know, it looks sort of suggestive. <laughs> so those are banned, you know, so this kind, like, if you're a religious scholar and really that's what you spend your time thinking about, you should be ashamed of yourself on some <laughs> level. And, um, and there's a lot of that in, in, in Saudi Arabia, at least, and and you know, it's funny, I meet Muslims from all over the world and like Lebanon and, and you know, any other Muslim country and they, they're like, you know, if, if you bring up Saudis, they often get angry on some level or at least I've heard a lot of it. They're like, oh, they give us a bad name, you know? Like the rest of Islam is pretty normal. It's mm -hmm. like, it's not some crazy religion and Saudi is pretty extreme. So, so yeah, I think I that it's easy in that context when it is that extreme to have a character who's fighting to be a little bit above that or you know, reject some of mm -hmm. that earthly concern in some way. But I think that goes back to medieval conceptions, like to almost monastic ideas that we're all oh, playing with. Which definitely. Is like There's a, medieval totally. Christianity and, and 
medieval Islam are very close in a lot of ways. Um, and even medieval Judaism is. The, you know, the main reason that they didn't get along was because of little things. You know, like, because it, I'm working on the uh, early crusade period now in, in the Holy Land and the, the mix of all of these different religions. And you know, the more I read about it, the more I realize that these people were all really the same. Um, and that's why so many churches became mosques, became churches, became mosques, and eventually when Israel, you know, in, in 1948 became synagogues again. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I, I, you know, the whole, there's a whole continuum of religion, and at the height is the people, or the mystics. And there are the Sufi, and there are you know there are the 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 hermits, and there are the Kabbalists, and then all the way at the other end are the people who who write the parody songs about the Virgin Mother, and there are some really really gross ones I can assure you <laughs> that were very popular in the Middle Ages. I mean, they, uh -huh. blasphemy didn't seem to appeal I mean bother them, and and yeah. and you know medieval Islam was not as strict as as. Um, as uh, Saudi today, one of the things like the jihad, uh, it wasn't until halfway through the Crusader period that they, they, um, the Islamic peoples of the Near East got it together enough to have a jihad. I mean, a, a, a lesser jihad. You know, the greater jihad is taking is finding your own personal truth, and the lesser jihad is killing everybody else, which is really a, not a polite thing to say. That's not true. Exactly, um, <laughs> but I can go on about this. Sorry, this is I'm giving I'm giving you Middle Ages 101. Yeah. Carry on, guys. <laughs> well, did you have something you were going to pop in there, Julia? Oh no, I was just you know um, what Zoe said about how the Lebanese and you know the Syrians are like don't talk about mm -hmm. you know Wahhabism because it's embarrassing to the rest of us. And I was just thinking, that's exactly how Episcopalians feel about sort of hardcore fundamentalists. <laughs> it's like, we're not, we're not that, no. <laughs> yes, this, this sort of dialogue that has risen up of, you know, taking back, whether it's Islam or Christianity, mm -hmm. you know, it will, it, you know, it, me too, and they're not speaking for me, mm -hmm. I tell you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. yes, it's an interesting, you, you, you have to have an extreme before the, 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 the more middle of the road people begin to say, "Well, wait, wait a wait mm -hmm. a minute here. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't agree to this at all." Um, let's talk a little bit about about research. Um, I think that not all of us have gone to quite the extent that Zoe has in, <laughs> yeah. in, in research. Um, I, I I appreciate it, respect it, and don't envy it in the least. Yes. Um, but I, I wonder if um, you know if if each of you could just talk a little bit about the kinds of things that that you're, the, the sort of information that you're looking for that enriches a, a, a crime novel, um, whether it's, uh, you know, book stuff or, or travel stuff. Um, you, do you want to Well, start? so far I've been to Trier, Durham, all over France, Compostela, um, Italy, and, oh, and I did do a short story set in Bora Bora, but it wasn't medieval. I just had to deduct <laughs> the trip. But that <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. I go to the places, I tell the IRS, I wrote the story here, and I couldn't have done it if I hadn't been there. Absolutely. So far, 40 years now, they've bought it. <laughs> Nobody here works for the IRS. You and I. <laughs> <laughs> 
We totally, <laughs> Zoe and I are doing the wrong thing, you know? I she's got to go back to Saudi Arabia if she's doing it. And I have to go to upstate New York during mud season, you know? I mean, it's, it's well, more but, for you. But um, I, wonder, I wonder if you could also say, I mean, this is, this is one serious scholar here. Uh, she, she proudly displayed this book that she, that she just brought. Her suitcase weighs more than any of us at the table. And it's, you know, <laughs> is there, well, I, I just I came car, straight like from a medieval conference here. In Kalamazoo, Michigan. Can you believe it? The medievalist conference at Kalamazoo, Michigan. <laughs> Life is just interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she proudly displays this book that she just paid hundreds of dollars for. And I'm thinking, oh, that's amazing. They don't have it in, online or in paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how much of that goes in, because Sharon also writes um, uh, some very, very meaty um, nonfiction, but um, when, you're, when you're writing a, a novel, how much of that kind of book stuff um, do you allow to sneak in? Cause I, I would say less than 10% of, of, what I, of the research I do actually gets in the book, but, it, but as with all of us, I think you have to know the background, and if, if I know it, then the little that I need for a particular scene will be there. I mean, they do say write what you know, and that's the mm -hmm. reason. It's mm -hmm. not, uh, you know, people say, oh, well, I'll just go read a couple of books on this subject and then I'll write a novel. But it just doesn't work, because if you need to kind of be steeped in it, and then you don't have to tell everything. You know what they call that? I, there's a I term. don't know. Wallpaper historical. It's where, no, oh, no, it's I where the that. author puts in just enough historical, so it's it's wallpapers, but but they're really just, you know, 21st century people walking around in, in like those old movies, you know, in the 50s where the popular. Middle Ages were all shiny and lovely. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so, yeah, may I ask you, like, how, how do you feel that affects your characters, like, fundamentally, being in that time period? Because the, the wallpaper, I'm sure you would have a handle on it, but are they significantly different? I mean, maybe they wouldn't talk like 21st century 20th century people. No, they'd be speaking old French. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean are psychologically, yeah, are they different? Is, is there you a, know, yeah. there, there are psychological differences, but as I, I once heard a, a biologist say, well, the pr thing is that human beings were hardwired 70,000 years ago, and our technology has progressed beyond our hardwiring. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, mm -hmm. you know, you have the same things. There, Motives for murder have not changed since Cain and Abel. Mm -hmm. And people still love their children, and they get mad when their spouses cheat on them, and they have fights in business with other people. It's all, you know, the basic human needs and drives and, and feelings haven't changed. How about with like a, a, a very religious character? Like, I, I feel like um, you, the 20th century, you would have a character who could, like, you know, get away with not having to have any contact with religion, but it might be a little bit more like Saudi Arabia in the Middle Ages. In a lot of ways. Lot of uh, it wasn't embedded in the culture. Mm -hmm. Orthodox Judaism was. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole thing about, and, and in Strong as Death, there, there's a whole big deal about one man who's a Kohen. And, um, and a lot of the plot is around his his feelings about something and all of the things that Cohen's were and are not still allowed mm -hmm. to do. Um, in the interview, I did an interview this morning and um, I pointed out, I was in Rome last year and we, my friend and I just wandered into this 
Park, right across from the, uh, what's that thing? Where they run up and down. <laughs> yeah, the, the stadium thing. And not the, no, not the Coliseum, where they had the horse races. Anyway, where it was the, the forum. Thank you, God. And it's even a Latin word. But um, there was a big sign there that said, this used to be the Jewish cemetery. And we're not sure we got all the bodies when it, they moved it. So Cohen's beware. You know, don't if you're a Cohen, don't come in. Oh wow! Mm. And so, oh, are you a Cohen? The, it's the well, priestly oh, class. Yes. Oh, sorry. Cohen is the priestly class. Yeah. And and they're the Cohens and the Levites, and then everybody else is Israel, yes. sort of like you know just your average scum. But um, <laughs> anyway, salt of the earth, please. Yes, salt of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, but, the, but, you know, in the Middle Ages, in that sense, it, here was this despised minority, mm -hmm. and then you've got another minority within it who has a, a whole other set of rules they have to follow. And, and that's, that's part of the book. I mean, my books never have just one thread, but mm -hmm. that's one of them. Um, I, I'd like to say, to have each of us talk about what's next. Um, since since we are writers with careers, and you know you probably are interested in in what we're doing, and then I will open it up to questions. I will ask that any questions um, I I will repeat them so that they can get recorded. Um, I will ask that any questions that you have, if they're individual questions or um, I, I love your writing and would you sign my book, come up to us afterwards because <laughs> we'll be here. But if any question you have, if you could make it something that the four of us, or at least two or three of us, could interact with, with it, it would, I think, be helpful to the rest of the audience. But we're not going to race away the minute we end, so we'll, you can come and talk. Um, so, Zoe, you talk about what you're doing next. You're, you're sailing away from Saudi. Um, yes, I am. I have just Are you happy about this? <laughs> yeah, I, for the time being, I am. I, I really actually wrote my first book thinking, gosh, I've talked to people for many years about Saudi Arabia. Nobody knows anything about it, seems to me. I'm going to write a book so that they can just read the book, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I've talked about it more than I've ever <laughs> since publishing the book <laughs> for like seven years. So I'm, I'm ready for a change, uh, temporarily at least. Um, I finished a young adult novel completely set in outer space, like, you know, <laughs> something completely different. And uh, I'm actually, but I am working on another mystery that is set in medieval Italy. Um, and it's about the interactions there between Arabs and Jews and um, Christians. Italy or Sicily? Italy, not Sicily, Salerno, actually. 12th century oh. Salerno. Medical school. I've got, I've got some books for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I asked you about it, although I probably should have like, bogarted the whole thing, but I, I would love to talk to you later. <coughs> sure. <laughs> Um, Tell me, what are you working on? Oh, I'm going to be starting a new series set in Bora Bora. <laughs> <laughs> I was just inspired to this evening. <laughs> uh, no, I've got the um, eighth book in my Mysteries in the Claire Ferguson series. is going to be coming out on uh, the 5th of November, for any of you who are, who are Anglophiles. Remember, remember mm -hmm. the 5th of November? Yeah, they said, yeah, Isn't it great? It's snazzy. My publisher didn't even think of that. I recited that when they said it's going to be November 5th, and they kind of like looked at me. And, like, okay, no. um, and uh, it's, uh, I wrote, I, I tend to write my books in sort of reaction to the previous book, and the previous book I wrote, One Was a Soldier, is a, a very um, 
wide open kind of sprawling story with multiple viewpoint characters and it's primarily about the return of a lot of, of, of a group of uh, Iraq war veterans to this small town and um, very diffuse and very full of obviously lots of social issues and so I flipped around and said I want to write something that's that's really as stripped down to thriller as I can manage, which is only semi-stripped down because I don't strip down very much. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> just, just erase that part. <laughs> um, so it's 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 my hero and heroine Russ and Claire um, in uh, a cabin, a snowbound cabin on a frozen lake um, with. Uh, meth brewing killers after them. So, light entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when is the Bora Bora one coming out? <laughs> Just as soon as I can make my travel arrangements. <laughs> Sharon, um, I'm right now. I'm doing another nonfiction for Palgrave, and it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, but couldn't afford academic advances. So. Um, it's uh, a history of the first 50 years after the First Crusade, but it's not about the Crusaders, although I can't get away from them, but the people who were there at the time, and also most specifically the second generation, the children of the Crusaders who were there, you know, who were born there, for whom that it's, it's normal. Many of them spoke Arabic or Armenian as well as their, their one, uh, another parent's language. And I got to admit that reading the newspaper, um, I, one of the pictures in the book is going to be the 11th century uh, minaret in, in uh, Aleppo. You know, as it was, and you know, things survived 900 years. And you know, all I all I hear as I'm working it are echoes. You know, every time I read the news. But that should be out before next Kalamazoo in May. <laughs> yeah, Pro probably spring next year. And then I'm going to go back to novels because I miss dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dialogue. Dialogue is good to write. Um, I have a book coming out in September. Um, you, will, you will all see me again in September. Not here, but there. Um, it's set in Paris, 1929. Um, I, I sort of have started this second series, or third series, however many series it is, um, <laughs> just because I, I wanted to write these characters again. And so my publisher seems to have fought the fact that I'm writing a series because they're selling it as a standalone. But it's a series. Um, I wrote a book called Touchstone a few years ago set in um, during the general strike in England in 1926. And it, it was my 9-11 book, my book about terrorism. Um, and this book is uh, Paris, 1929, and it's, as, as you were saying, you can, you can play with these echoes mm -hmm. um, that come up when you're writing historical fiction, because it's, um, or, or even historical nonfiction, um, because you, you are writing with an awareness of the modern audience. So, um, so I'm writing about Paris, and it's September, 1929. But every, every time the stock market is mentioned, um, <laughs> you're aware that any modern reader is going to be saying, hmm, November 1929. <laughs> so it's, it's, really, it's really fun to be able to do that. Paris is in the process of dying off as far as the American colony is going. And um, 
and uh, you know that's ideal for a crime writers. You don't want everyone happy. You know, you <laughs> want <laughs> you want it after after the real artists have all gone to the south and all of the uh, real writers have gone home, and you know the grifters and the hangers on and the alcoholics are hanging out, and you think, hey, this is my kind of. So, how about how about a question? Anyone have front row? Um, for the the books that you all write and a lot of other books that I'm familiar with that are crime fiction with some kind of religious element. Usually the main character, either, either the whole context is religious, like you were in New York, mm -hmm. or the main character is somehow professionally religious and went after her, priest or whatever. So my question is, in the current publishing environment, can you get away with having a main character who is religious but not professionally so? The question is, in the current publishing environment, can you have a story involving a main character who is religious but not professionally so? That is, the, the rabbi slept late, the rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what, what, what do you feel? I mean, if that's you a good question. A I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, you know, the first thing I thought of was, uh, was there actually books out there about the Amish, but that's actually, this, it's cultural. It's, it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's embedded in the culture. Um, I, I, you know, I honestly can't think right off the top of my head of, of the books where you would have it. The first thing that comes to mind is just that so many crime characters, crime heroes are just so hard-bitten, just cynical, you know, like your average mm -hmm. detective is either like an alcoholic, going to be an alcoholic, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who just doesn't necessarily involve himself or herself. Mm -hmm. Well, the only one I can think of is Faye Kellerman. Who you know? She's a, her. She her characters are observant, but they're not. Uh, yeah. They're not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In in clergy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, that is very interesting. That um, that the the ones that come to mind are those in which the religion is the entire point of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the the Christian Christian publishing yeah. houses where it's yeah. you know it's it's you find the killer yeah. and Jesus yeah. at the same time. <laughs> 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 There's a line for your next. That's book. right. <laughs> Right after the, yeah, that's it. Finding God in Bora Bora. That's going to be the title. Over there in the corner. question is uh, you we were talking about how to make to make people relate to the practice of religion in in a novel but how do you do the same with theology uh, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for well, it. Well, having said that, ha having said that, all of the questions had to apply to all four. We're kind of tipping down at the end. Yeah. Um, I I think that I I tend to use theological issues and uh, questions in novels when they apply to the larger picture. So that in um, the monstrous regiment of women, the whole point of that book is this dichotomy between um, a theological inquiry and the experience of religion. Mm -hmm. um, and, and 
you have to understand where Russell is coming from. Therefore, she has to talk about theology. And it, it acts as a bridge between her own very cere cerebral understanding of the divine and the person that she's working with, that she's trying to tutor, who experiences God within. Mm -hmm. um, and the language that they reach each other in is that of, of the rabbis, basically, is looking at the text mm -hmm. and seeing what the text has to tell us. So, I, I mean, that's the way, and I, and I think I've, I've used that kind of technique in a number of books that aren't particular, I mean, they're not R Russell books, but in each of them, I mean, I tend to be rather intellectual when it comes to God. I mean, my, my God speaks Koine Greek, so, <laughs> 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 sorry. <laughs> that still small voice needs footnotes. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard the comparison made between morality plays and crime novels. Mm -hmm. Now, morality plays, you know, how do they deal with evil? Well, they provide reassurance and comfort, but they don't seem to delve more into why there's evil in the world or how to handle evil, you know, the eternal question. Oh, some of so them do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Time novels, how do they go beyond morality plays, say, dealing with evil? Or are they just like morality plays, basically in a movie, morality plays? The, quest yeah. the question Sorry. is, how, how, do, how do crime novels deal with the, the concept of evil along the lines of the morality plays of the Middle Ages? Mm -hmm. so. I, think, I think a tremendous amount of them do, because they all, um, almost all of them deal with you know, why do bad things happen to good people. And even if they don't talk about religion, there is still that, that eternal question that everybody is trying to figure out in some way or another. But the morality plays and the mysteries, at least you find justice. And justice is, is yeah, it's a, it's a way of, of, of comforting yourself, that something bad happened to somebody good, but at least there, there, was, there was some kind of retribution, or at least solution. I think, I think that nowadays mystery writing is really very, very character driven. Uh, you know, we, we, we sort of came up out of the puzzle mystery, you know, decades and decades ago. But what people read mystery for nowadays, by and large, is character. Um, and sometimes for recipes in the back of the book. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and you know, if you, if you are, if the writer is working this vein of having um, really characters that seem believable, um, I think you can't help but delve deeply into, into you know, the heart of evil. Because one thing that, that I think we all say back and forth to each other is that nobody wakes up you know, and looks into their mirror and says, I'm a villain, you know, Just I'm going to be villainous today. You know? and, and so as the writer, you really need to understand those characters, even the bad people and what is driving them. And I think at that point, it's just a matter of how well you can portray it so that other, so that readers can experience that character and those motivations as well. Um, we, so we, oh. you have, yeah, no, because we don't, we still don't have an answer to any mm -hmm. of those mm -hmm. questions, like mm -hmm. why evil exists or, mm -hmm. yeah, we can't really answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think that one of the, one of the differences, uh, and it, it's not across the board, but there's a slight difference in crime fiction as opposed to the morality plays is that in crime fiction, the basic assumption is we can do something. Mm -hmm. 
mm. and that mm -hmm. in the morality play it is this is the situation and this is how we achieve um, mm -hmm. you know our own haleness our own health and well-being within it but there's never any assumption that you can affect the evil in the world in a morality play whereas in crime fiction mm -hmm. there is and mm -hmm. in crime fiction the basic idea is the only people who can do something about evil is is us. It mm -hmm. is our responsibility mm -hmm. as people. So, uh, but Zoe, I, I think I hope you take notes. That next Saudi Arabian book, I want recipes in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, Every, everybody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. recipes. <coughs> Your editor will love you because you have to send samples. So okay, <laughs> in the back. Well, in order, to, in order to, to make this more of something that we as a panel can discuss, I'm going to just say um, that the question has to do with cults and the, the, the further reaches of, um, of religious tradition. Um, how, how do we as writers um, address something that, that is so extreme? I mean, I think Zoe, you particularly, you, you have to present these people as rational human beings who, who live in this, what to an outsider looks like a mad situation. And I, I think that, I, I mean, I, she's referring to a couple of books that I did that have to do with, with cults and extreme groups of believers. And I, I think you have to write from within. Mm -hmm. as, as Julia was saying, you don't wake up and think, I'm going to be a bad guy. The, 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 the villain in any book thinks of himself or herself as the hero. Mm -hmm. I mean, in any story, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the bad guy is the hero in their own story. And I in any um, extremist cult, in fiction or otherwise, that they, they're not the extremists. They are the rational ones. Mm -hmm. And it's the other people who are way far removed from the way of truth and right. So, I mean, this is a fascinating way of writing mm -hmm. characters um, in, to, to make use of religion in, in that expression, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if you're writing from the outside, it's just like the wallpaper thing, or it's, it's maybe even uh, rude in a way. It's like a, it's just for the freak show aspect of it or something, mm -hmm. rather than really trying to get inside to make mm -hmm. sense of it. That's mm -hmm. the crucial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think getting inside the character is a, it's the responsibility of the writer, um, and, and I mean that's that's why we do what we do. So, is there questions on this side? I, I sort of keep turning my head on this side. And lady here. Okay. Since you all write series, and since you have uh, a character who is either asking theological questions or practicing a religion, and then starts thinking, why am I? Do you at all feel compelled, obligated, or inclined to develop your your um, character, your series character, your investigator, detective, spiritual development? Is there a thread of their 
personal um, path that starts here and grows here? Yeah. The, the question is regarding um, the our our characters' um, personal development within within the story. Across the series. Across, across, the, across the series. Across the series. Across the series. I as a I that that's an I say you and I both have that in our books. Um, one of the one of the threads, one of the character arcs that occur is uh, in my books is is the growth and development of Claire as a, a brand new uh, newly ordained priest um, into figuring out exactly what her role is, um, whether she is in the place that God intends for her to be and how she can effectively be um, you know both herself and the the, the pastor um, and it's been interesting because it was actually not something I'd planned when I started the books I didn't realize this was going to be part of her character arc was sorting all of that I mean I figured okay she's she's gotten ordained she's you know, she's she's in a parish. Boom, that's that's it. But it wasn't that turned out to not be it for her, and it's it's been an ongoing. She never questions uh, her belief. I don't I don't think she she would ever do that. There's I don't think there's anything that would make her stop believing in God. But she does question whether she is where she should be, and she questions a lot whether or not she's a good priest and what she needs to do. To, to to be a good priest and a good person and, and, and be true to herself. And I know that um, Nair actually goes through a real interesting, you know, yeah. exploration of this question This makes me think of sort of the rule for writers of writing romance novels, which mm -hmm. is like when the couple gets together, the story's over. <laughs> it's like what's interesting <laughs> is the struggle to get there, and then mm -hmm. once you're there, you know, it's not that interesting, and I think that that may also be true in this case. I mean, that just popped into my head and really mm -hmm. thought about it, but, you know, uh, yeah, if any of our characters were just, like, totally perfectly, like, evolved to a point, so there is there is an arc, but it's not, like, in a certain upward trajectory. Unlike the it's authors, like a of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. We are not our characters. <laughs> now, you, you've done that with, the, with Catherine and well, the others in there. That yeah, par part of it is that this is, uh, there are bodies, I promise. But uh, <laughs> what I'm really writing. But they're medieval bodies. Yeah. What I'm really writing is an old time family saga, mm -hmm. you know. So Catherine is 18 when the book, the first book mm -hmm. begins. By the time of the 10th book, she's in her early 30s. Well, and she's got, had children, she's lost children. Uh, you know, a lot of things have happened to her, and mm -hmm. she grows like anybody else. Now, whether it's spiritual growth or emotional growth, I don't know. There are other minor characters who have spiritual awakenings. Um, Catherine's father has was a forcibly converted Jew, and he has been trying to find his way back ever since. And in one book, and I don't even remember which one, he finally just <laughs> breaks mm -hmm. and goes to the south of France, mm -hmm. which, no, why not? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but wh where there was a, a serious community, and he, you know, he, he delves into the mysticism. Uh -huh. um, so I think the, char the characters grow and change and develop as they would in any series. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, a, a good series doesn't have a, well, I'm, no, I'm thinking about a series that I know where uh, the characters, like, it's a, 
the book it's a book every year but it actually only moves the action forward a month so the characters don't really need to. That's, that's like yeah. Lori's books. Yes. You know? No, no, no. <laughs> it's like, actually, I was thinking of Carol. Mary Russell yeah. has had an extremely uh, active <laughs> busy year. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but, but you started her off well before World War One. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. She, it's the problem of having an older husband, right? You, you got to move fast. Um, yeah, I think that. I think that, um, uh, to my mind, as a writer or as a reader. Um, the interesting part of a series is the character development that you can watch mm -hmm. in there. Now, there are some great books that, honestly, it doesn't matter what order you read them in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the Jack Reacher books. Mm. There is nil <laughs> character development yeah. in there. That's not what Lee is interested in. Mm -hmm. He tells a story, he tells a great story, he doesn't talk about character development because that's not what he's into. But I think those of us who are writing a series that is actually a series, that is a flow of narrative between now and then, um, that, uh, you know, the, the only reason to justify a series is because you are following these people and you are watching them and you are stepping in their shoes and you are, you are feeling them change psychologically, spiritually, and, um, and all around them. question is how has our writing affected us spiritually? Oh, that's a good question. I tend to pray more before a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you? Anybody else? Me? You? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, unlike these other heathen, I, <laughs> I, um, I, I think it has. I think that uh, channeling um, someone who is so open to you know Claire is trying to trying to do what what Christians are called to do which is to see Christ in everyone and respond to Christ in everyone um, I personally find it very difficult to see Christ in everyone and you know it's because some people are not very likable and and it's uh, you know or they they smell funny or something <laughs> like that but um, I, I have found that by by channeling her character, um, that I it's helped me to work on that within myself as as a human being and as a as an Episcopalian to try and be more open and and be more um, receptive to to seeing people in that light and and also to doing things about it. Okay. Next well, question. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough question. I'm not really sure. I, I can't say that I can chart my spiritual development in the course of 22 novels. <laughs> but really, um, I, I think that, um, if anything, it's driven me the opposite direction because my, my editor now has me writing thrillers. And you've you, you got to be really hard on your characters. So. Is there room for spirituality <laughs> in the bones of Paris? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I think spending any time within the head of even a fictional character um, gives you different points of view. So, yeah, I, I, I suppose that it's true. Maybe, you know, if I write 100 novels, I, I, I will have done <laughs> the effect of one penance or something. <laughs> so maybe one or two more questions. Is that... 
Hi. This is related uh, question, and it's been a personal one. And it has to do with the first question that you asked each other, the relationship between religion and, and theology. And the question is whether in your writing, either as an individual novel or in your whole career of writing, it has in your writing has affected your theology to some extent. And if so, in what way? The question is, has in any way our our writing during our career affected our <coughs> theology, um, I, which I would assume our way of looking at um, how how we talk about God. Anything for you? Um, that's a tough question. Do you have a religious practice? I do no. not practice Islam. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I honestly I I did for a while, and I found that. I preferred not to. I mean, it is actually very demanding on a daily basis. You're mm-hmm. supposed to pray five times a day, and um, th- but there are things about it that that I am reminded of in my writing because I don't live in Saudi Arabia, and it really, in a way, it keeps me there. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> that uh, that affects the practice of religion, not necessarily the theology. It, it's a tough question. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I would imagine that that. You, I mean, you were saying you were exploring how um, th- this priest um, develops as a person, but that must also mm-hmm. make your the way that you look on uh, God and God's function um, must have changed over a period of time. You know, I, I find that over the, the when, how long, I think I've been writing these books for 10 or 11 years now, um, I think I have really open I, I think I've abandoned almost any we do actually have sort of a few <laughs> few not really rules but sort of you know like this is the way things are um, doctrines I guess in Episcopalianism and and I pretty much abandoned all my <laughs> doctrines and just really really sort of opened up I mean I uh, uh, and I'm not sure if that's actually the writing the books though or it's just sort of the natural evolution of my own uh, individual spirituality um, you know, I, I, during the course of writing these books, I became, for instance, a, a, a universalist. I, I personally don't believe that there is a hell. I, I believe that the salvation will, will be available and, is, and, and will be for everyone, no matter what. There you go. <laughs> well, that gives me comfort. There you go. See? <laughs> Even those of you running off to south of France and no, Bora Bora. Well, <laughs> well, if you thought of it first, you're just jealous. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think we need to let the priest rebut my... No, my think, oh. <laughs> Whatever their job is, but when 
The question is about the person that we write in, first or third person, and how that gets mm -hmm. helps us get inside the head of that that individual. Mm -hmm. Sorry, did you? Well, that that might be a like kind of a pragmatic answer to that, which okay. is like when you're writing a murder, sometimes it's really helpful to um, be able to switch out of that and move into someone else's point of view. And there's just mm -hmm. this kind of it's an editorial thing. I've had n like no editor will ever, I think, really accept you starting out a book in first person and no, then I suddenly shifting yeah. to, mm -hmm. but you know. But the first time it's handy is a reason to read it. Mm -hmm. I feel like suddenly I, I know you're, you're, you're in third person and I You're in that head. Well, you, you know, that's the, 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 technique, the technique that I use and, and a lot of us use is, is um, close third person where it's, it really, you could switch it out and you could write in first person, um, and it wouldn't make that much difference. Uh, in other words, you are in tightly in your viewpoint character's head and emotions, and your, your viewpoint character only sees and understands what, what he or she sees. You know, it's, it's, it's very similar, you know, Mary Russell is, you know, the, the Russell books are in first person, and she can interpret what she sees people reacting and, and their facial features and things, but uh, she can't know. And it's the same thing with close third person. It puts you very intimately into the head. The, the big advantage of it is, is that you can go from head to head fairly seamlessly. You, you know, I mean, you have chapters where you're Nair and you're in Nair's experience, and, and you have to have it for your books because you can't show both male and female experiences unless you're you know, you're, you're, you're intimately in, in the, uh, Both, the heads yeah. of, of them. And then you switch and it's from, it's from Katya's point of view. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, techn it's a technique for, for doing that. Mm -hmm. um, that's, uh, and then the rest of it is just uh, the writer's imagination. It's, it goes back to creating these characters that are, are well-developed and, and well-imagined and well-researched um, so that when you read them. I mean, the ideal experience is when you read is that you feel like you're stepping inside someone else's life and living it for that period of time. Mm -hmm. Yes. It, it's fascinating how, um, you know, you, you would think that a first-person narrative is much, much easier to write an honest um, view of the, the character so that you would think that writing Mary Russell in the first person um, would be easy to to show all aspects of, of her life. But in fact, first person has these weird limitations because we are all self-deluded. None of us see ourselves honestly. And and I, I had a lot of fun with that in one of the books because she, she is the the unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. She remembers things that happened a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I, I found that I, I had to do sections of that book in the third person from mm -hmm. Holmes's point mm -hmm. of view mm -hmm. to look at, because she's going along in one direction and he looks at her and sees something very different. So it was a lot of fun doing those, those sort of, and I've, I've used this a couple of times, just because, you know, first person is weirdly limiting. Yeah, I've done first-person short stories, but I don't think I would want to do a whole book in first-person. For one thing, it feels too constricting. I like to I like to jump into someone else's head. It really enables you to explore the voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that mm -hmm. in first-person, the primary strength is that you can develop voice, mm -hmm. Mary Russell's mm -hmm. voice, 
is primary in the books yeah. th in a way that you can't be if you're third person because mm -hmm. that's a narrative that's telling mm -hmm. everybody and they can talk in a certain way but then you go back to the narrative but if it's this pompous old woman one more Well, we just read each other. I'm trying to think. Anybody? Anything you're really looking forward to this year? Looking forward to this year. I, I, I have to say, one of my favorite books in the last couple of years um, has been Gods of Gotham. Speaking of gods, mm. doesn't actually have to do with gods, but um, <laughs> uh, by Lindsay Fay. It's a story about New York, the beginning of the police department in New York in the. Um, 1840s, 1850s. Mm -hmm. Beautifully written book, fascinating subject, gorgeously researched, and she has a second one coming out this summer. So I'm really looking. Nominated for an Edgar Award for best best. Novel. And she should have won it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's okay. I was on the committee for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So anyone you're particularly interested in? Um, well, I can give a. a, a I, I actually had a list because I read for the Edgar Awards, which means I read every book that was not a debut mystery published, or at least delved into it a little bit, um, in 2012. And yet wow. she didn't nominate me. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, you got to be the top tier. <laughs> She's never going to blurb my books now. Uh, uh, and uh, so there were, we had this sort of list running in the committee, it's like, books that people ought to know about. They're, they're not, you know, they wouldn't get nominated for. And uh, I read a really terrific one called Clawback by Mike Cooper, which is about a computer expert and financial, <laughs> like high finance shenanigans, both of which, you know, normally would have left me, you know, completely cold. And he did this terrific job for it. And I have to check, I'm really hoping he's gonna have a sequel for it because I just loved it. It was a great thriller with some great characters. So that's my recommendation. Now, other than your Latin um, text that you were thrilled at. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can think of right yeah. now. <laughs> um, the problem is that I, I don't have a long, lot of time to, to write each book. Mm -hmm. And so I only get to read fiction on planes. <laughs> and I ah. think, th I mean, that I had to make this rule. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Otherwise, because if I sit down and read something. Um, I read, I reread Terry Pratchett a lot, but I think the last book, apart from the ones, because I read your books on the planes, um, I think the last one I read was The Pirate King, the last mm -hmm. piece of fiction, mm -hmm. which was very satisfying. On a plane. Mm -hmm. On a plane. Zoe, do you have anyone that you? Um, I'm revisiting you? Elizabeth George. She's a wonderful mystery mm -hmm. writer. Mm -hmm. she's, mm -hmm. she's got character stuff nailed. She's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth George. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I thank you very much for coming out. Please buy a book, have us sign it. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.